Is this thing on? Welcome back. Episode three, Backside Ground Ball Pod. In person. This is exciting. First time ever. First time ever in person. I'm excited. It's awesome to be sitting across from you. Um, Tuesday night, we talked a ton about the trade deadline. A lot of stuff went on. Um, Today, uh, big weekend, right? All these weekends now, as we get into August and September, are just crucial for a lot of teams trying to make moves. Um, we saw a lot of good series to start the week. Um, we'll get into some of that. We'll get into the previewing the weekend. Um, and, you know, we'll dive in a little bit into some of the things. I know we're both dying to talk about. First up and foremost, though, Mariners came east, went to the Bronx, played the Yankees for three, ended up taking two of three, um, which for a lot of these teams, like what's fun for me is when you start looking at the wild card picture and, and um you know, obviously the division front runners, they play with the best of the best, but teams like the Mariners who have gotten hot is now getting these measuring stick series that are so important to like see, okay, can you come east and play in the Bronx and play up to the Yankees? Um, and it looks like after Monday when they got beat down pretty good, you know, they weren't really in the game to then turn and win two or three was huge. Um, and again, the, the moves they made with Castillo pitching on Wednesday and just making his debut, and you can just see how good they look and just how excited that team is. They're a team that's having, like, so cliche, and I hate when people talk about this, but they are, like, they're having fun. They're playing together. And honestly, the sneaky, maybe the best move they made was when they went and got Carlos Santana. Mm-hmm. He's been massive for them. And they come to New York this week after getting beat up again in Houston and having to put Julio on the I.L., having to put Ty France on the I.L., and they win just a massive series. They're a lot of fun right now. They are. And, you know, it, like you said, it was a huge statement to come East, especially <clears throat> looking at what they did this weekend against the Astros and, and kind of struggled and, and had to deal with the injuries. But for them to finish off that series, taking two out of three was, was huge, and I'm sure it'll be momentum carrying it. You know, they it was a battle of the aces in Garrett Cole versus Luis Castillo, and I'm sure Yankee fans are frustrated, to say the least, with Garrett Cole's performance. He kind of has that tendency to lay an egg occasionally and have those six-round innings. And But for him to settle in and end up going six innings for that after giving up three homers and six runs in the first is, I mean, I think impressive. I'm sure it's not what Yankee fans expect out of their ace, but it showed that he didn't crumble. That's what aces do is they save the bullpen even on days that you don't expect them to. And just for Luis Castillo to walk into Yankee Stadium, not once, but twice, to seem like he enjoys it. Within a month. Within a month. And just yeah. dominate what we think of as the best lineup in baseball. And, you know, that, that team, they just, like you said, they feel like they have something going for them right now. It's it's the dog days, and when you're young and you're new, it's a lot easier to get through it, which why, is why we could see the Yankees kind of struggling at this point is, kind of getting to that finish line. They know what they're playing for. They know what that lead means. They know what they have to do to, to kind of get to the end here. And you see the Mariners that are, you know, first time here, most of those guys, especially Julio and the young guys, they've never experienced a full season. They're just happy to be playing baseball and have that energy every day. And it, it just showed when they showed up to Yankee Stadium. And, you know, those last two days kind of almost dominated them. Yeah, and I think the Garrett Cole thing where he's been susceptible this year to – the big innings, um, it's kind of weird. Because when you think of the top pitchers in baseball, everybody mentions Cole. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because he gives up three home runs in the first inning. Uh, and I just 
it's it's like almost one of those things where it's like, what's going on with him? Yeah. Why does this happen? Because there was a start in Minnesota where it was like the same thing early in the year, and it's like, why does why are there just sometimes these lapses? Now, obviously, he's pitching in the big leagues and all of that aside, but he's one of the best in the world. All of his stuff is playing the exact same as it has in the past. There's no drop off. This is Velo's up even for a guy who's you know into his thirties. Like Velo on almost everything is up this year. Um, so what is it? And, and I just think. We talked about it a couple episodes ago, I think, of just command for guys with fastballs. And I think sometimes he's getting bit a little bit in the middle of the plate with his forcing fastball, whereas in the past you saw him just being able to consistently be top of the zone, top of the zone, and get swings and misses. And now this year it seems like there's a when you watch these games where he gets hit hard, it's like their fastball's in the middle of the plate. It's almost like his fastball's just a tick off. Um, I also think his curveball's become a lot worse than it has been in the past. Um, when you look at some of the numbers, the batting average against is is a little bit better, but slugging seems to be up almost you know, across the board on it. And it's like, well, what's going on with that pitch? Is it even a pitch he needs? Because still, to me, this, the fastball-slider combo for him is just elite. So it's like sometimes I don't understand why he goes to the curveball. He doesn't throw it very often. It's the third most, uh, yeah, third most used pitch that he has, um, and he mixes those those last three pitches pretty well. He's a heavy fastball slider guy, but for me, it just comes down to fastball command, right? When he when he can hug the top of the zone, it, that's when he's his most effective, and he just sometimes has those lapses. Um, back to the, Mar- I mean, the Mariners. It's just it's a lot of fun right now to watch them just continue to take steps forward when they felt like they were dead in the water for the first three months of the season. And now all of a sudden they're playing with everyone. They play really good defense. Their bullpen has probably overperformed a tad bit. And the offense is just a perfect mixture of guys. And obviously the emergence of Julio has been huge for them. But again, even in a series where they don't have them, they go in and they play the best team in baseball and just handle them, yeah. which is massive. It's the power of youth, it seems like, almost. Like they, they're... Young, they're energetic, their pitching staff is young, everything is new, even their vets are new to that organization, and, and they want it bad. And, and like you said, I mean, somebody on MLB Network today said, you know, they always talk about mile 20 of the marathon, and, and they're talking about the Yankees and the fact of, you know, are they getting weaker now? Are they going to be able to finish the marathon and things like that? Well, the Mariners on the opposite end are kind of getting stronger as that goes on. Does that mean I think that if they played each other in a playoff series that the Yankees wouldn't be able to handle their business and do okay? No, I'm not saying that. I think the Yankees are kind of cruising right now, going through the dog days, a lot of veterans taking days off. I mean, Judge didn't play last night against Castillo, not that he right. He would have gotten his licks off or anything like that, but they're really worried about load management and getting everybody every day at bats. But you know, I think that what the Mariners are doing is just carrying momentum and and hopefully carrying that into a playoff spot. I mean, they got better. They got better at the beginning of the year than the team that went you know above five hundred last year and was on the fringes of a playoff team. And they got more talented. They got better, and then they added Luis Castillo at the at the deadline, which obviously is going to be a huge piece and. Seems like he's not going to be afraid whether they're the three seed or the six seed to walk into any park game one and and go out there and p- pitch eight innings with ten strikeouts. Oh, it's so fun to see him too this year. Just finally become the pitcher that everybody's been waiting to see because mm-hmm. it was like there, the stuff has always been there. The stuff has always been electric, and he's always been a guy that when he was in Cincinnati, which just more and more seems like a terrible place to have to pitch. Um, 
But to see him just, everyone was waiting for like, when's he going to take the next step? When's he going to take the next step and become the ace, right? Because he's been a one, he hasn't been an ace, which is, there's a fine line at that level. And he finally is taking a step where he's an ace, like you said, any ballpark, any time. And also with them, I think Winker and Suarez getting going, who are two, again, Reds additions, but they, um, in the off season, they came over and and they took a while to get going. And it was like that really hurt them because they were the two big off-season additions for them. And I think when everyone was kind of looking at those vets, some of those younger guys, and those two were struggling to get going. And now they've kind of kick-started. Ray Suarez off the aisle. He's now up to 18 home runs, 17 or 18 home runs. And, I mean, he looks more comfortable. Winker's getting his groove. And, again, I hate to be cliche, but, like, when did this thing kind of start? It was when, when the brawl happened. And I don't know what stupid reasoning could be behind that, but it seems like ever since that Sunday in, in L.A. where tensions ran over on either side, the Angels have gone the wrong way and the Mariners have gone the right way. Um, looking around the rest of the league, here's some other big series at the start of the week. Uh, Phillies and Braves split in Atlanta, two games set. Uh, Tuesday night, the Phillies threw a bull, went bullpen game. Braves just absolutely shellacked them. Um, the NL Rookie of the Year is just so fun to watch pitch. I mean, he throws a fastball that is it's just art to watch, and that's Spencer Strider. Um, and it's, when when he has fastball command going, it is impossible to get licks off him because, honestly, one of the fun things about him is his fastball is so good that – I'm not even talking fastball command like where he wants it. I mean, in the strike zone. Yeah. does not matter. You leave the heat map, I don't care where it is. It could be middle, middle, yeah. and it does not matter because Prime. his stuff is so good. Prime Max Scherzer. Prime Max Scherzer. Like, we're talking about a fastball that is that elite. And and it, I think a lot of it has to do, one, obviously the metric sonic are good, but you're talking about a guy who's six foot, mm-hmm. so the extension isn't crazy. He gets the most out of his lower half. Him and Bruce Dargratterall are the two best examples of using your lower half um and they just i mean you're talking about a guy who's expected era is lower than his era so there's nothing fake about what he's doing this year and no hard contact guys aren't barreling him up and he's i mean it's 70 percent with his fastball almost it's ridiculous it is prime max scherzer it's one of the most elite pitches so when you have a bullpen game going against that it wasn't going to look good and then yesterday charlie morton and zach wheeler both just dominant. Um, Wheeler continues to be an ace that Philadelphia's long needed. And a huge home run by Nick Castellanos has been a ghost all year long. Um, gets a big eighth-inning home run to put him up for good. Um, so that was another big series. And a fun stat here uh, is the, the Phillies have played the Braves tough this year. They're 500 against them. And actually, since the start of 19, the Phillies are 500 against the Braves. And the rest of the NL East, it, I think the record is the Braves are something like 106 and 42 against the rest of the NL East in that time frame. So um, that would be interesting if they meet in the playoffs. Yes. I think the Braves are decidedly the better team still. I still think they might win that division um, because the thing about the Braves is they've been one of the best teams in the league since June, if not the best, and their best player isn't hitting. I mean, Acuna continues to struggle, so... Yeah. Watching them down the stretch here, and if Cunha gets hot in August and into September, and mm-hmm. there's something about the magic in that stadium the last couple years. Yeah. That team is scary to me still. Yeah, and I mean, they have their infield locked up forever. Ever. Um, those guys are going to come to the ballpark and hit one. They have their one through five literally lined up for the next six years. Um, and Ozzy Albies isn't playing. Wait for him to get back. Olsen hit. Olsen. It has had a great year, but let's 
don't know why he's hitting so many doubles and not enough home runs. Right. Leads the league with 35 doubles, and I mean, more than that probably now. He's basically double extra base hit every game, it feels like, at this point. And, you know, part of that is he probably just needs to get a little bit more lift on it, but because you would think coming from Oakland, he would have a little bit more juice coming to a hitter-friendly park. Austin Riley is the MVP that Acuna is supposed to be on a year-in-a-year-out basis, and that's not anything as a knock on Acuna. Acuna is obviously a great player, but Austin Riley is the guy right now. But when you build a lineup the way they've built their lineup and with the depth that they have, like you ride Acuna out when he gets hot in late August into September. You ride Austin Riley out while he's literally the best hitter in the world according to his bad ball profiles and his expected numbers are beyond imaginable and, and beyond the success he's even had. You can ride Olsen out when he gets going and starts to be the steady Eddie at first base. And, you know, Dansby's turned himself into a well above average shortstop, and that was far from a guarantee for the longest time. And then you have Michael Harris playing elite defense in center field and really being an impact uh, talent that Christian Pache was really expected to be if the bat ever came around. That's what Michael Harris has been for them. So to have just be able to fill those pieces, be able to get better. You know, you trade Pache in a deal to get Olsen and sure that makes you worse at first base in terms of Freddie Freeman, even though it's pretty close in my mind. And then you get rid of Pache and then just fill him with a minor leaguer who's just as good, if not better than him, especially offensively, and he's just as good defensively. And, not to mention having a guy like Spencer Strider. I don't even think if you talk to the Braves brass that they would probably say that they envisioned this for him. No. I don't think they imagined he would be an uh, NL Cy Young candidate, right. or just a rookie of the year candidate. But, you know, Strider just makes everybody better. When I watch him and see the way he fills out those pants, he's going to crush legs tomorrow and, and do it again and yell hard because, you know, he's, he's a unit. You know, when he uses his lower half, great. He just dominates with the fastball. He's just kind of like your typical beautiful new age pitcher, right? They throw the best pitch they have the most amount of times, you know, and his fastball is his best pitch. And, you know, I don't really know what his pitch mix is beyond that. I don't think he's throwing four pitches for strikes. I think it's kind of almost a reliever mentality. Here yep. just hit it for, and he has the stuff to go three times for the order. Now, whether that's sustainable over the long haul of his career I don't know, but the fastball plays at an elite rate. I feel like the big leagues, what makes them special is that guys start to get on it. You see Garrett Cole have to go to something else. You see Justin Verlander have to go to something else just to make that fastball that much more effective. But when you have a pitch that you're throwing 70% of the time and and guys are still not making contact to it, it might just be that unique of a pitch that, I mean, we might need to start talking about his fastball as being better than Garrett Cole's Justin Verlander's Max Scherzer's. It's insane. It's absolutely nuts, and, to, and and the only thing you worry about again is we just touched on the cold a little bit. Is if if he does start to get hit a little bit when it's in the middle of the plate, because if it loses a little bit of zip or anything, yeah. um, as the years go on. But right now, I mean, it looks like they have an ace. They have an ace. I mean, you pair if Soroka ever comes back, which who knows where he's at in his rehab. Unfortunately, he's had so many setbacks, but Freed and, and Strider and him and Charlie Morton just being a bet. Like again, this is a scary team. This is a scary team. And one of the you know probably easily the top five team in the league. Yeah. And and again, I'm not so I'm not sold that they're not going to chase down the the Mets and win that division. Uh, three and a half games back as we sit today. Um, another series, two game set in the AL East this week. The Rays and Jays uh, split. So they continue to stay, you know, second and third in the um, division there. 
probably not going to chase down the Yankees. No one is. So Toronto continues to stay as the top wild card. They're holding off Seattle and Tampa is um, one game back of Seattle for the second wild card spot. So both playoff teams. I don't, the, the Rays are always kind of a mystery to most people, right? They've gotten so accustomed to them now winning 90 games and you've kind of figured out how they were going to do it. Um, they were going to find, they were going to bargain hunt. They were going to find guys who put the ball in play. They were going to put the ball in play hard and they were going to, you know, run into home runs and guys get streaky. They were going to manufacture runs by hit, you know, hitting the ball extremely hard and they were going to pitch. My question for you is this year, what is going on with them? Because they have just not felt like the Rays once. They haven't had that magic, right? And, and I don't know if it's, you know, a lot of, a lot was riding on Wander Franco finally becoming a superstar and, and you know, being an MVP candidate. Um, or, you know, some of the pitching hasn't gone to plan this year. But they're relatively quiet at the deadline, which they never make two splat. They're never going to. They're not an organization who's going to get a blockbuster. But, you know, it, they're always in the market for a bat. And it just seems like this year, you know, they've been really bad away from home. Um, and they just think it's funny. They're, they're, they're playing good against teams above 500. They're 38 and 35, three games over 500 against those teams. But it just doesn't seem like the same Rays team that we've seen. They haven't done the things that we expect them to. And I don't know if you have any insight to what's going on with, with them as a, as, a, as a whole. I think, you know, when I look at it, it, I think the main point is what you made is I, I think they've really relied on the fact that Wander Franco was going to be that MVP candidate. While you could argue that they've never had that elite guy in their lineup over the last couple of years when they've kind of run these, these stretches, I mean, they kind of just play the hot hand, play the matchup, play the guys they like. You know, it's just kind of one of those things when you're a guy who's supposed to be the difference maker, right? They've obviously been good enough to get there multiple times and, and be good enough to make deep runs in the playoffs, but they never had that MVP candidate. Wander Franco is supposed to be that guy. Right. He very well can be that guy. And when you're kind of hinging your bets on that, and, and not that they really got worse, I think what, what we're seeing playing in front of us is just them being that steady Eddie team, right? right. So they're going to be... You know, if they finish on this pace, they probably finish over around 90 wins, which mm-hmm. is all they expect to do and what they all probably, I mean, for losing Wander Franco for as long as they did, not having Tyler Glass now, like those kind of factors into play. I mean, you're looking at a 90-win team. They're, they're doing exactly what they should do, and it's kind of, you know, their situation, I, you know, as you were talking, I was kind of thinking they're kind of like the brewers on steroids or you know, yeah. the brewers are the Tampa Bay Rays light when they kind of just never are going to wow you, right? They're never going to wow you with their moves. They're going to confuse you. They're going to do things weird, but they go and grab a David Peralta and they're going to platoon him and he's going to do well. I mean, he'll probably play every day for them, but, you know, and then they go and get a Jose Siri and, and they kind of put him in a position where his talent can kind of play. And they're just getting guys that we don't expect to perform and milk every ounce of talent that they can and just being able to get guys to step up like Jeffrey Springs, like to me, looking at their record being 55 and 49, like I look at that roster and say that that's overperforming from right. what they have. And that's what the Rays do. So and I, I just think they're not, they're not as good as everybody thinks, thinks that they're right. going to be. And I think also you, you can't talk about them without just the rea- harsh reality of it is the injuries this year. And that's a franchise that can't withstand injuries. Right. Yeah, and when you think about, we talk about Wander not, 
performing up to expectation, and it wasn't because he, he was ha- he's having a bad year. It's because he's played 58 games. And Manuel Margot, who really the last two seasons has been an underrated piece for them, who's really kind of been the straw to stir the drink for the most part, he's only played in 51 games. So it's really tough. And, and then another big issue, the one guy who has played and has underperformed a lot is Randy Rosarena. Mm-hmm. Right? You're talking about a guy who was a rookie of the year, um, who – you know, it was a postseason hero in 2020 who had a really good campaign last year. And, and I, he just hasn't kind of done what you expected. Power hasn't quite been there this year. Um, he's still stealing and he's striking out a ton. So um, I think all of those factors kind of play into why they're not doing exactly as um, expected this year. And I think that's kind of what you get with Randy or Rosarena. I mean, I hate to be that person that gloomy, negative guy, but when a guy comes up and he was good as a rookie, right? And then he got hot, and he, I mean, we've seen since then he was a streaky player, and then people were talking about him being the best prospect in baseball, because he still had that rookie eligibility, and like, that's okay, he's talented, but I I just felt like the hype with Randy Arozarena got too much, right? right? He wasn't supposed to be a Wander Franco, he's not supposed to be a top prospect that they have, and you know, they are a factory of player development there, and they do a very good job of that. But, you know, I just think the hype with him was a little much. I think if you even ask people in the Rays organization after that World Series when he went off and, and played great down the stretch, and is this the Randy Rose Randy you think you're getting for the next six years? They'd say, no, I don't no. think so, but I hope. Right. But I hope, you know, and that that's kind of what the limelight and having a good series in such an important way against the Yankees and just dominating them and hitting big home runs and doing the things you do in that nature and, and what that can do to your prospect profile in the, in the media sense. And, you know, you see guys like Yarborough kind of struggling, you know, pitching a 4 eight, 9 this year. Peter Fairbanks is struggling too. You know, just the guys that they rely on, you know, then you get no-name guys like Jason Adams pitching to a one two seven with 51 punches in four innings or whatever those, those numbers are. That's just what they do. But, I, I mean, really, I just think they've been what – if you told me Wander Franco was only going to play 50, 60 games up to this point, I would not – I'd say they'd be a 500 team. Correct. Well, and I think, again, when you look at a Rosarena, just to, to go off your point, right, they didn't expect him to be the Wander Franco. But when you have Margot at the top of the lineup and you have Franco, if he's healthy and doing what they expect Wander Franco to do, all of a sudden the Rosarena is that much more valuable, right? When you when you surround him with those pieces that you ex, you know expect to be who they are in Margot and Franco, then a Rosarena becomes much more valuable. Um, last thing, as far as games we saw this week, last night, the Marlins beat the Reds 3-0. People probably wonder why we care that the Marlins win 3-0 over the Reds. Both teams are probably out of the playoff picture, although the Marlins are kind of hanging around in Marlins fashion where they're hovering around 500, a couple game, handful of games below. But another complete game shutout from Sandy Alcantara, who, again, Strider's probably in the conversation for Young, but if you're talking about the lead candidate, it's Sandy Alcantara. And just what he's done this year is insane. I mean, he's so fun to watch pitch. It's an electric factory all the time. It's four pitches. It's a true four mix pitcher. And there's not many left, right? You were talking about the new age of guy, which is throw your best pitch the most. He does. He definitely does. He throws his changeup, which is unhittable the most. He throws it 26.9% of the time. But then you look at the other three pitches, 
that he mixes, and it's 25.1, So it's like he throws all four. It is true four-pitch mix. It's four-pitch mix. Like back in the day, guys that used to do it, Maddox, you should throw four. Glavin, you think of those pitchers in the 90s who were dominant, how they mixed. This guy does it. Yeah. But this guy does it with 98 to 100 in the tank on the fastball with a ridiculous slider, ridiculous sinker, and an elite changeup. And it's, yeah. I mean, it's he's so fun to watch pitch. And guys don't put the bat on the ball. I mean, sorry, they put the bat on the ball. They don't put the barrel on the ball, right? He doesn't, he's, he's not a, a huge strike. He's got three guys, yeah. right? He doesn't, he's not a huge swing and miss guy, but he's a guy who just can't put barrel on it. Yeah. It's, it's crazy because, like, when you look at it, would I say, you know, in terms of what we talk about being elite, he has one elite pitch, right? The fastball is an elite, is not an elite swing in this pitch. Right. What he does so well that makes that fastball play up, obviously you have the velo and, and batting averages against velo, the higher you go, the lower batting Correct. averages. That's, that's normal, but with how much sink he has and how much movement he has, you just get guys, and when you're throwing four pitches – you know, we talk about the three true outcomes, and really part of it is the shift and part of it is in mentality. But as a hitter, I mean, you, you sit there and you just sit pitches. And when you're sitting a pitch, if I'm selling out on, you know, an OO heater, I'm looking for it up in the zone trying to do damage. And if it's not there, I take it. Well, what makes Sandy Alcantara so good is you can't do that. I mean, the one strikeout he had against Jonathan India last night, India was looking for something else. Like, I can tell you that much. Like, in just being able to, like, when you start to see swings like where guys are uncertain, it means Jonathan India is sitting there in a two-strike count saying, you know, I'm getting a slider, and then Sandy runs a sinker right back into the zone, and he had to swing at it because it was a strike, and you see those uncertain swings. And then guys chase. And then guys chase, exactly. And it's just... You know, and he looks like if you if I was walking down the street and whether I was recruiting high school, scouting for an MLB team, you see those long legs, those long arms, that wiry body, and you're just I'm sure when he got signed as an international free agent, he was 84 to 86, right. with these long limbs, and people probably loved him. That's what these guys develop into, and, and the Marlins they've done a really good job since he's gotten there because. He wasn't a sure thing in, with the Cardinals. Um, he's kind of would fit what the Cardinals like. He fits what the yes. Cardinals do, and he kind of is a Cardinals pitcher, you know, through the heart of it. And But, you know, what the Marlins have done to get him to be what he is today, I mean, he is a four-pitch pitcher. He's an old-school pitcher. He attacks the strikes on what four pitches. He does a really good job limiting hard contact. He does not let the ball get in the air and a big ballpark either. So even if he wanted to, you know, you're probably going to see a lot of long flyouts anyway. But you know, he's just he's fun to watch. His stuff is is really good. It plays up because of the you know the way he uses it. Yeah, he's going to run away with the Cy Young because of it. And honestly, I think we should appreciate this season because the the one eight eight ERA it may never be there again because the whiff rate isn't elite, right? The guys who consistently put together the the you know freakish numbers like that, the Verlanders, right? Who might do it until he's fifty five, Kershaw. Those guys, they're, they're Scherzer, obviously, DeGrom, their whiff rate is elite, and his isn't. So we should really appreciate this year because he's getting a, a smidge of batted ball luck. Now, obviously, the barrel percentages are low, and you can't swear him up, so it's hard. But there's going to come a year where he's going to pitch to a 3-1 or a 2-8. It's not going to be sub-2. It's not going to hover around a 2 like it is this year. So soak this year up and enjoy watching it because – Recency bias, and we're going to always look at the guys who are the extremes, and that's what everyone's going to talk about over here. So we might not be talking the same about him next year or two years down the road, but it's going to be just as fun to watch. Yes. Um, last thing to look at here, 
you know, kind of to, to start the weekend preview, but also, you know, close the door on, on what we saw this week is the Dodgers pretty much putting the nail on the coffin of the um, Giants. The Dodgers are, as we speak, um, beating them right now. Um, they've beat them all week long. Um, and it's just confusing to me a little bit as to what the Giants were doing at the deadline. Because they end, you know, they move a couple pieces. The Darren Ruff is now met, but they held on to the rentals, right? Jack Peterson's a true rental. Radone is a rental in the sense that he is a player option for next year. He's going to opt out, right? Because he's not getting paid his value right now this year. And when he opts out, whether it's the Giants, whether it's another team who's going to be starting pitching hunting, which is everyone in the offseason, it's going to get paid, right? Because he's having just that good of a year. Why they didn't move on? I understand they're, 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 they're not mathematically eliminated. They're not mathematically that far out of it. But when you just watch a team that last year caught lightning in a bottle with so many guys, and they won over 100 games, and it was a little bit thin, and we all said that, and we saw it in the playoffs pan out that way. But they're three games under 500. And you sold a couple guys. You held the rent rules. The teams in front of you, the Cardinals and the Phillies, were tied in that last wild card spot. They made moves to get better. The Braves are chasing down the Mets. Or they're not even worth thinking about if you're the Giants. And the Padres, who were in your division, probably were the biggest headliners of the deadline. So why they didn't sell is the Giants, I'm not sure. And then the flip side, the Dodgers go home as usual. You look up, they're 71 and 33, going to make it 72 and 33 today, probably after finishing off the sweep of the Giants. It's ridiculous. I mean, they're so good and so to me, when you're the Giants, when you have those two teams in front of you in your own division, that you're going to have to play a ton down the stretch here. You haven't put it together all year. Why they didn't sell more of the rentals, I don't know. But, you know, another example of, of just kind of teams being on the fence, and it's going to bite them because that's going to hurt them in the long run because they don't have that strong of a prospect pool in San Francisco. Yeah, I think the price for Rodon was high. Um, and I, I don't blame them. I don't blame them for setting it high. But if I'm not moving that piece, and I, I guarantee, I mean, I said <clears throat> from a Yankees perspective, they should have went and taken Peraza and called the Giants and said, what will it take? And I probably would have done the same thing to the Marlins. And it seemed like both teams wanted to hold on to Pablo Lopez for the Marlins and Rodon for the Giants. But, you know, I, I I don't know. I mean, we talked about it with the Cubs. I don't understand it. I don't, you know, you're running a business. You're trying to do, you know, long-term benefits for the team. I think the expanded playoff and who's behind the Giants, I think. You know, you made a good point of talking about who's in front of the Giants, but who's behind the Giants? Right. Nobody. Right. Right. So I almost envision, like, I, I'm sure the Giants sit there and go, hey, if postseason is worth this much in terms of financially in our pocket, it'll set us up for the future because, you know, realistically they can get hot and just get in. You know, if, if we're talking about a 16 playoff with the, with the expanded playoff that the new CBA pushed through, but you know, at the end of the day, I, I just don't I don't like that mentality. I don't think that's a that's a good way to to kind of go about things. Is if you can get prospect capital for these guys, unless you're picking up, you know, the phone and calling Rodon's agent right now and working yourself out a four deal four year deal for him to to stay in San Fran after this year, which very well could happen. Um, and if you're going to let him hit free free agency and let teams like the Dodgers, like the Yankees, just spend money for him rather than 
trade prospect capital and get that guy for the next four years. And trust me, it's going to be analytics first teams that are going to be all over him. I love him in, in a Padres uniform, kind of having that staff as well because of what he's done so well. I don't understand what the thought process is. And with Jock Peterson, a left-handed hitting, you know, he kind of could have platooned. He's a good culture guy. I get all those things, but you know, you're not getting much back. So I guess I can kind of see more holding on to Jock. I'm sure it would have been a fringe top 20 prospect for Jock. Yep. And the Dodgers now also, when you look at it, the Dodgers who just continue to pull away from um, kind of everyone. Now the Padres are going to be obviously on them. Uh, throughout here with the big moves they made. And fortunately for us this weekend, we get the first taste of the new-look Padres against the Dodgers. Now, 11.5 is a huge gap to cover here when you only have two months. I don't see it being possible. And again, it's not like the Dodgers got worse or the Padres got you know good enough to close that gap completely. Now, if they meet in the playoffs, anything can obviously happen here. But again, like we talked earlier, for a measuring stick series here for, for San Diego, who, I mean... Soto debuted with Bell last night and Brandon Drury against the Rockies and just it's electric in San Diego right now. What a time to be a Padres fan. I mean, to just that place was packed out. It was playoff atmosphere to see the last place Rockies because everyone wants to see the superstar, you know, who comes over in the trade and, and just how exciting that can be for a fan base and for the guys in the locker room to, to plug those in. And now you look at that lineup and that lineup's insane. And so, they get uh, a three-game set against the Dodgers. What a test it's going to be for the Padres. And, and you know, for the Dodgers, it's a, it's a it's be a statement series for them, too. Like, cute moves, right? Yeah. Cute moves. But, you know, we still are the, the, the power in this division. Yeah, and, and I think just looking at the way the atmosphere was last night and just seeing, you know, I don't think we registered the caliber of – an asset that the Padres just added. I mean, I I can't say in my memory bank of any athlete, not even just baseball player, of the caliber of Juan Soto at the point in their career that has been traded at 23 years old with, you know, because of the experience. Because of the longevity, right? LeBron, when he went to the Heat, is the only one that you can really think of because of how much longer he sustained it. But, I mean, when you're comparing a guy to LeBron James, that says something. Exactly. And just to imagine that those guys, like guys like Soto just don't get traded very often. And and it's not a knock on what the Nationals did. I think they did what they had to do. The ownership situation backed them into a corner. But, for San Diego and San Diego fans, like every time I, I think about it more, I become more entranced over the fact of, like, this is happening. You know, like, mm-hmm. Soto is a Padre. He's not a national. He was traded. It's not like he signed right. as a free agent. Somebody had to make the decision to move a piece that of that caliber, and somebody had to bring assets back to make that piece worth moving. Um, and... Just seeing him in that, that uniform, that uniform looks clean on him. It looks clean on most people. They do a great job with that. And the atmosphere they've had and they're going to get Fernando Tatis back here soon. And just what that lineup brings, I still think they're you know a little bit off on the mound. But if those guys get going, you never know. They have a lot of talent on that mound. It looks like Blake Snell's turning himself back into something similar to the ace that the Padres thought they were trading for. And, you know, it's just fun out. 
there right now in San Diego. Snell's had an electric last six starts. I mean, when you talk about a guy who, and again, fastball command, when he throws his fastball for strikes, you can't see the slider. No. You cannot see the slider. Lefty, righty, doesn't matter. You don't see the slider. And then, okay, I'm going to dump a curveball into it once in a while. So when he's pounding the zone with the fastball, what it sets up for everything else is just huge. And he's last six starts unreal. Um, just a complaint. With it. it's a it's a darn shame that this is two of the three games in the series are played on West Coast time. Yeah. You know, ten ten start on Friday, nine fifteen I think on on Saturday. It's like flex that Saturday game to a yeah. day game or something. Make them play at four. Put it on earlier Sunday night baseball. Luckily, had them on the schedule already. Which I mean, everyone should be tuned into that because, like you said. Did, when you sign a massive free agent in the offseason, right, typically that deal gets done December, January, even February. You wait a couple – you have to wait two, three, four months before you see that guy in uniform. It's almost normal to that point, and the first weekend is exciting. When you're in a playoff race, you've played 110 games with a team, and now you're adding a superstar to your lineup. The jolt it gives to the city, the fans, the locker room – I mean, it's amazing. And again, then they sneaky. Josh Bell yeah. is in the middle of that order. Yep. They they don't stop. They get Brandon Drury, who's got twenty one pumps. I mean, what they've done to that lineup now in San Diego, and it's so much fun. And like you said, if if Clevenger can start to look like he is, if Manaya pitches to potential, so who wants to face them? No one. I mean, the NL playoff field to me is just going to be you can't go any team one through six can win a playoff series and, and we'll say seven right now because the cardinals and phillies are jockeying but a short series any team can win it and so for some of these teams like the dodgers to be able to hold it off now the dodgers are a factory the dodgers aren't blinking because soto and bell are padres it's not gonna you know they're not scared of anybody when you have you know Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman and Cody Bellinger and, and, and you know, Joey Gallo now, who we're both convinced is going to be uh, a, a force for them. They're not scared. So to see this weekend, just these two Titans, just, you know, button heads, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, it'll be a fun series. Probably the first time in my, in recent years that I'm like, you know, I might sit down and try to watch all three of these games. Yep. And, and just dive in on what's the atmosphere like? What's what do those lineups look like? What do you know? What are the Dodgers doing with Joey Gallo? What's you know Brandon Drury? How's Juan Soto look? How's Josh Bell look? And just seeing how you know everything. How do the Dodgers pitch their guys? And and really just diving in, you know, to three baseball games that I feel like are must see TV and and definitely going to be intriguing to look at you know, live and, and want to get looks on both those teams and how they battle it out. And it's just so ridiculous, too. Um, Gallo today, they're playing today against the Giants, finishing off the sweep, as I mentioned earlier. And, and, you know, Gallo already has a hit for those wandering. But the Dodgers, it's like this lineup is so stupid deep, and it never stops. And then they call up James Allen. And the other day, three knocks in his debut. You know, he's hitting 500 through his first four games or whatever. And it's like it just doesn't stop. It does not stop for them. And so um, to see those two, and like you said, I'm going to try and watch all three of these to just, I mean, it's, it should be electric. I mean, we can only hope, right? We hope that it's three good games and it's a, a great atmosphere. And um, hopefully it can be a lot of fun because, as you said, both lineups just ridiculously deep. Both lineups just, you know, it's it's going to it's gonna be awesome. Yeah. I can't wait. And Drew, I mean, people, 
I, I don't think people realize because he's just not a household name how good he's been this year and what he's done. Because remember, he was—he looked like he was going to be the third baseman of the future in Arizona. He had a really good year in 17. In 18, the Diamondbacks take the step back. They move him. The Yankees then think they're getting their third baseman for the future. He struggles, and he's been unheard of. Yeah. He bounced around. He's a minor league sign, I believe, last year by the Jays. Doesn't stick. The Reds pick him up as, you know, their rebuilding team, a guy that they can get for cheap. He's been unreal. And and when you look at the turnaround, we were talking about this earlier, he mashes off speed pitches. I mean, it is insane. He he has 21 home runs this year, and 15 of them have come via off speed pitch. I mean, it's nuts. Yeah. He's slugging. His slugging is insane against off-speed pitches. You know, and he's hitting fastball. Still, he's hitting almost 300 against the fastball. So it's been really good. But when you look at the adjustment, it, to me, it looks like he's just simplified things. He's foot down early. He just tries to catch things out in front now. And, man, it's working. Yeah. He's seeing it, and he's seeing spin. So when you're – you can tell me a little bit more about this. But to me, it's like if you're going to be a foot down early guy and try and catch things out front, you better be able to recognize off-speed pitches, right? Because yeah. if I'm getting my foot down early and I'm trying to catch it out in front, if I can't see spin – I'm going to wave a lot and swing and miss a lot. But if, if you can see the spin and you can recognize it, if you get your foot down early, you can catch barrel out in front. And even if you're just, you know, even if you get fooled a little bit, if you're still recognizing it enough, you, that's when you can start hooking balls. Yeah. And one of the things that a lot of people don't understand to the whole is how easy it is to pull a home run. And what I mean by that is you can go 87 at 25 and hug a line. And as long as you keep it fair, it goes 331, right? right? And that's out of pretty much every ballpark except apparently Camden Yards now. <laughs> and that's kind of what a lot of hitters have realized um, is you don't – Alex Bregman is notorious for it. I need to have true ball flight to the corners. I'm not strong enough. I don't have enough bat speed. I don't generate enough power to go center field big fly. And understanding that, you know, everybody wants to say stay big part, and that's kind of the old age thing is stay big part because you'll get topsy turning, losing your front side. And you know, it's funny that you say that because I really do think that to hit the off speed the way the Brandon Drury is, and to be able to get to the line is, you know, I always think of it as it's real versus feel, right? What what is your cue that keeps you from losing that front side? And, I would imagine for a guy like Brandon Drury to be on time for 95 is you're on time to the right center gap for 95. So he's staying flowing to the center of the field. And guess what happens is when somebody throws you an off-speed pitch, if you're not trying to go off the pole with a fastball, what do you do when you're off the pole with a fastball and somebody throws you spin and and you barrel it? Right. You pull it foul. Foul and runs are strikes, right? right? That's what I used to tell our hitters all the time last year. Foul missiles, foul home runs, they are controllable. If you can keep your front side closed and keep that your body flowing through the center of the field and flowing to right center, you give yourself a chance to backspin that ball even when you're off speed or if you're out in front of fastballs. Most kids at the amateur level before you get to see 95, 90-plus are out in front of fastballs. Too. You'd be shocked to learn that, and, and they have a hard time pulling it because of that actually being later actually sets you up to actually pull the fastball more. Now, when you're seeing 95-plus, you're probably going up the middle with that, kind of relying more on knocks that way. But 
being able to flow up the center of the field, being able not to lose your posture, even when you're a little out in front and getting that foot down early, is what has allowed Brandon Drury to get to the pole with the off-speed pitch. And just all he has to focus on is elevating that pitch and trying to get it 340, 350. He's not trying to hit anything 450 feet, which will cause you to, again, lose your front side and hook that home run fast. Right, and when you look at it, right, it's not like he's hitting the ball harder than, than anybody in the league, right? He's right at halfway point of, of average exit velocity, right? But he's putting more barrel on it. He's not swinging missing, right? And, and his hard hit percentage is high. So what does that tell you? He's finding barrel. He's hitting all speed pitches. He's not being fooled, right? And to your point, it's a, you know, a lot of it can be a timing mechanism, right? If he's timing things and his approach has changed to that right there, of being able to see the off-speed stuff. And, and if you're talking staying right center of the fastball and staying close, then you can still backspin a ball down the line. Tell you what, man, he looks he looks, he looks, looks awesome. And, and for the Padres to get him too, if it's not enough to get Bell and Soto, throwing a guy with 21 bombs to hit him sixth, seventh in your order. I mean, come on. That's ridiculous. Um, last one here uh, for the weekend. Um, the NL East, huge series in the NL East. Uh, in New York, the um, Mets and Braves for five? Five. Five. I mean, this is going to be a brawl. This is going to be a five-game, you know, bare-knuckle brawl. You're going to go through your rotation, essentially, a whole time. Now they'll probably add an extra guy for the doubleheader days so that we're not, you know, guys aren't throwing on short rests and stuff, but... Five games in, in four days, and the Braves are, are trying to chase him down. They're three and a half back of the Mets. And, you know, you get you get Wright versus Carrasco tonight. Um, Wright's been fantastic for the Braves. Carrasco's been great for the Mets. And then, you know, we'll probably see DeGrom again. You'll see Scherzer in the series. You'll see Max Fried. Um, I can't wait to watch this one, too. I mean, because this could, this could be it right here, right? This could be a statement for either side. For the Mets, you can, you know, put your stamp on it right here and say, you know, oh, the guys on backside ground ball were saying we didn't have a good trade deadline. We'll watch this. Five against the, the Braves and we'll make our, our, our point. Or if you're the Braves, you can say, This is where we this is where we take it, right? Yeah. And in the past the Mets have known to fumble here in August, so you know, they're gonna have more opportunities. I'm not saying this is the end of the division, but to me, if this is if the Braves go out there and win four or five, which I don't see either team doing that in this series, um, you know, you could you, you make up a ton of ground, yeah. right? That's three games you make up yeah. in a series, and right then and there, you could start to to kind of take the division. Yeah. Um, so I can't wait, and and it'll be interesting to see. Hey, can Acuna get going? Yeah. Acuna gets going here, and in, in New York in a big series, he's a primetime player. We know it. He's a superstar, so. This is one I'm also super excited to watch. Yeah, I think, you know, it's going to be a playoff atmosphere for all five games. Mets fans are charged up for, for what this team's done and, and what they're capable of. It, you know, like you said, it is a measuring stick. I think what's different about this Mets team is obviously Buck Walter. He's been around the block for, for a couple of years, to say the least. And, you know, he seems to have this team going in the right direction and has the right temperament of that clubhouse. And I think, is that what separates this Mets team from even the 2015 team that went to the World Series? Because on paper, talent-wise, the Braves are better. Yep. Um, there's no way around that. I, I do not think that, I mean, that lineup is better, whether you have Ozzy Albies or not, whether is going or not. That lineup is just flat-out better. Um, pitching rotation is, you know, you have the top heaviness of the Mets rotation where you have Scherzer and DeGrom, and obviously those are, might be one and two in the world, not just in the in the division, right. but 
that that pitching staff. I mean, when you're throwing Spencer Strider, Max Freed, Kyle Wright, you know, all really above average arms, and Strider probably even borderlining on that that Cy Young caliber right now is, you know, you're going toe to toe. So it'll be interesting to see. Do the Braves come and make that that statement saying like we're not going anywhere? We're still as talented. We're going to be this talented for the next forty years because they'll just lock up anybody on a team friendly deal that walks into that clubhouse. Um, and are the Mets for real? Is this will pretty much be for me? Is is how much does culture matter, right? And obviously they have a long stretch down the down the rest of the season where the Braves could be chasing them. They'll be chasing each other. They could meet in the playoffs very well. But how much does culture weigh, right? Because the Mets seem to be that team with the right culture, with the right group that love each other and that are kind of battling it out for the playoffs for each other, battling it out for Buck, battling it out to do the right things. And the Braves are the talent, right? So I know analytics departments will tell you that the Braves are the better team and and everything like that. This will kind of be a test for it. If the the Mets can really come out and and really beat this Braves team up, win two games that Scherzer in the ground pitch, show off their aces, flex their muscles, you know, do enough to win offensively and and kind of shut this Braves team down. It'll be interesting to see because, like I said, when you hear Pete Alonso talk, when you hear these players on their team talk, their leadership talk, it, it really seems like they have it and have that, that it that teams talk about a lot of times. But trust me, this Braves team is not afraid of anything. They just ran into the World Series. They faced adversity last year. They were that team with it. They didn't lose it over an offseason. Freddie Freeman walked out the door, and they still seem to have it going for them. So it'll be interesting, you know, kind of thought process for talent versus culture and see which one comes out again. Yeah, and again, it's like the Mets haven't had – they haven't reached that peak, right? So that hunger is still there a little bit, right? They, they, they've had so many disappointing seasons now, and, and so many things fall apart on them, and it looked like that 15 team, like it was like they're going to be set up forever, right? And then the Matt Harvey thing happens, and it just all blew up so fast. Well, they've turned it around here, right? they got an owner who's coming, and he's paid, and he's bought, and they have a really good mix. When you look at how the team's built, yeah, they were throwing a lot of money at a lot of places, but they did it the right way. Right, they didn't do it. They didn't do it in a wrong way where they were just signing fat checks. Um, Buck, Buck's been huge for them, like you said. I mean, Buck has just leveled things out. And then on the flip side for the Braves, I mean, I think tonight's game is going to be massive, right? Because if Kyle Wright can win game one, because tomorrow you probably, I mean, Ian Anderson hasn't been the guy that he's, he was last year and who they thought he was going to be if he'd taken a step forward. So. If, you know, you don't want to lose the first two of this series. And, again, this is this is going to be a huge statement series either way, right? The Mets can really solidify it and put their stamp on it and say, look, we're for real this year. You know, I know you guys have been hot, but that's cute. You know, or the, the Braves can, can show, like, hey, we've been here, done it. You guys are starting to feel the heat because we're breathing down your necks and now we're here to prove it. And like you said, culture and talent, it's going to be fun to look at. There's so many storylines to go with on this side, right? Lindor and Acuna. Um, can Acuna get going? Frankie's having a much better year than he did last year. Who has the big hit, right? Is it Riley and Pete Alonso, you know, or is it going to be some of those guys down the lineup? Is, is a new face going to have a big moment? So this is going to be a really fun one as well. It's going to be a great weekend of baseball. We'll be we'll be back to recap it at the end of the weekend. Um, you got anything else for the people? No. Uh, Good time. Baseball. Yeah. That's it for episode three. As always, like. Subscribe, rate, and share. Social media, do it all. We'll be back at the end of the weekend for another episode.